Thanks for joining us for our podcast, Putting It Together. My name is Christina Clayton, one of the co-directors of the Northwest Mental Health Technology Transfer Center. We are part of a national network to disseminate and implement evidence-based practices for mental health into the field. We are coming to you from Seattle, Washington, and our Northwest region covers Alaska, Washington, Oregon, and Idaho. However, in this virtual world, we have connected with people from all over, and we are very grateful to connect with you today. One of our goals is to provide free training and technical assistance in mental health topics. And now we are offering a podcast because we were told there weren't many podcasts out these days. Just kidding. But truly, we hope you hear some useful information and or inspiration that helps you put it together when working in this challenging and amazing field we call mental health. You can find out more about us, including our live event calendar, free online courses, resource library, and newsletter sign up by visiting our website at mhttcnetwork.org backslash Northwest. Over 100,000 people died in the U.S. in 2021 from drug overdose. As the CDC noted, this is a staggering record that is horrific and tragic. From the OverdoseDay.com website, this day is the world's annual campaign to end overdose, remember without stigma those who have died, and acknowledge the grief of the family and friends left behind. They shared it is time to remember, time to act, because there are things we can all do. Today, we have Allison Newman to talk about overdose prevention and response resources. Since joining the Addictions, Drug, and Alcohol Institute, ADAI, at the University of Washington in 2017, Allison has provided training and education on overdose, opioids, and worked on the website stopoverdose.org and learnabouttreatment.org. She specializes in health education and healthcare access around drug use and health. Thank you so much, Allison, for being here today. So let me start with a question. How did you come to work in public health and how would you distinguish the public health approach to overdose prevention? That is a great first question. I started working in public health. So my undergraduate degree is in anthropology, which is a great field. It's a lot about understanding communities. However, it's not one that has really easy jobs. So I wanted to do something to apply anthropology and got a master's in public health. And my first job in public health was doing a Fulbright in Sri Lanka, looking at maternal health. I came back from that in 2009 and had a long job search before finally ending up at the Vermont Department of Health, which is the state I'm from, working in hepatitis C. And there's a lot of overlap between hepatitis Mm. C and drug use and health. Most people Mm -hmm. who have hepatitis C acquired it through sharing injection equipment. And so I really got into the field of harm reduction and overdose prevention through working in originally an infectious disease. So very different trajectory than some people who work in the topic of substance use disorder. But I think it's one that's helped me look at larger community issues and have sort of a unique perspective. To go back to the other part of your question, the public health approach to overdose looks at it from a larger community level. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a substance use disorder professional. But what I do is, and other public health professionals do, is use tools like epidemiology, surveys, community conversations to understand this larger level of what resources are needed, 
What are the larger socio-ecological factors that impact someone's likelihood of overdose or substance use disorder and try and affect change at various levels? So rather than dealing with one person at a time, which is very important and is part of the overall system, we want to see what can we do to make communities more resilient, make treatment or naloxone more accessible. So looking at these larger scale type things. Thank you so much for that, because I think it's always interesting to hear how people came to their points in their careers. It's not always something we've sought out to do. And I also hear you saying, without saying it, I think the moral or shaming or disease model, like all of that stuff doesn't really apply when you're just taking a pragmatic public health. This is happening. How can we help people be healthier and and actually survive when engaging in risky behaviors that have been going on for millennia? So today is International Overdose Awareness Day, and we're really grateful to have you here, especially for today to talk about that. How would you describe any of the trends you're seeing and hearing? The opioid crisis has been in the news for a long time. There have been other overdoses, of course, since drug use began, but how would you describe what you're hearing or seeing about Washington State, where you work nationally, or other trends that you might be aware of? I think. What we have seen since 2020 is a worsening of the opioid and overdose epidemic in Washington state and nationally. And that's really been driven by an increase in the availability of fentanyl, which is a very Mm -hmm. strong opioid, which now makes up a large part of the illicit drug supply. What's also not talked about as much, but is a big driver of overdose deaths is methamphetamine. In Washington state, about half of our overdose deaths involve methamphetamine. We don't have easy tools like naloxone, easy, I'm putting that in air Mm -hmm. quotes, Mm -hmm. tools like naloxone or like we do medications for opioid use disorder. We don't have easy medications for stimulant use disorder. So Mm -hmm. I would say methamphetamine doesn't get as much attention, Mm -hmm. but it's also a huge driver of our overdose deaths in Washington. So those two things have dramatically increase the number of deaths or we've had over a 60% increase in yearly overdose deaths in Washington state since 2020. Can you explain just a little bit more about that, especially for folks not really in the substance use field or the harm reduction field? With methamphetamine, you usually don't think you might overdose, but are you saying that because fentanyl is so rampantly in every substance that people seem to get on the streets, even when they're not looking for that kind of opioid effect? That is a good question and a frequent misconception, even before Mm. fentanyl was around, about half of our overdose deaths or about 40% involved methamphetamine. Of the methamphetamine involved deaths, about half are methamphetamine only and half involved in opioid. So that's even before fentanyl. So fentanyl isn't Um, driving those methamphetamine involved deaths. There is a misconception that, uh, that methamphetamine can't cause an overdose. Mm -hmm. It does look really different. It tends to be more like heart attack, stroke, or seizure, or it could be long-term chronic effects because methamphetamine is really hard on your heart, on your your vascular system in general. So it could be those different things. It just is not discussed as much. Most of the attention has been on opioids, and there's a lot of different reasons for that. And I think yes, (laughs) we we can guess some of those. Well, no, that's really helpful to clarify because I've I've heard pieces of that. That was really nice to understand. We are going to list a lot of resources on our 
episode page here for the podcast, but you know, what things come up most often when you're doing these sort of educational talks, their question or resource that's sort of your go-to thing or the thing you're not surprised to hear most often? I think one of our most important resources is just our opioid overdose brochure and our opioid overdose video. Mm. And just to make sure that people know the signs and symptoms and the easy things that they can do to respond to an overdose. You can go get a naloxone kit. You can learn the signs so that you're ready to call 911 if someone needs it. I'd say our other resource that's been getting a lot of attention is our stimulant overdose flyer. We spent a few months developing that by talking to people who use methamphetamine to find out what they knew about methamphetamine overdose. And once again, that's sort of an air quotes because it is very different than opioids. Mm -hmm. And then we talked to medical providers about what they think the most important symptoms are just to get the word out that if you see these things, which is like anything that looks like heart attack, stroke, or seizure, that person Mm -hmm. needs some emergency medical help, that that's time to go get help. The question I get a lot when I'm doing community presentations is, is it safe to respond to a fentanyl overdose? Mm -hmm. And yes, it is safe to respond. There's been a lot of good evidence that you can't overdose from fentanyl just simply from touching it. You know, recently there's a news story about an anesthesiologist who got fentanyl all over his hands and was Mm -hmm. fine. So we know it is safe to respond to fentanyl overdose. If you suspect an overdose and have naloxone, you can respond. It's safe to do rescue breathing. We want people to be comfortable responding and not worry about their own risk for overdose. There's a misconception out there that we hear frequently and have been working to try and educate the public about. Oh, that's really helpful. And, you know, just for folks to know, depends on where you live, of course, we're in Washington state, both of us, but you can get naloxone for free very easily online. I'm sure on your website, there's all sorts of resources to learn how, and hopefully you can do that in most of of the states where people are listening, but you don't need any reason. I have young children, a teenage child. I just feel as a public health type person as well, that it's fair to have it around in case I see something that happens because it is so rampant and people don't necessarily have the tools with them. So we know that harm reduction can be gravely misunderstood and people who use substances aren't generally included in providing solutions and being part of the creating approaches. And then we know there are a lot of health disparities in both the drug war and how people get treatment and all of that. What insights might you share for people not as familiar with these aspects and concepts and why are they so important to dealing with overdose in our communities? I think one misconception is that harm reduction is just around substance use. People would be surprised every day they're they're practicing harm reduction. Wearing a seatbelt is harm reduction. Mm -hmm. Having a designated driver is harm reduction. So every day we're um, doing activities that have a risk and we're doing things that minimize that risk. So just understanding that harm reduction is all around us. It's something that we're all doing all the time. Another thing to know about harm reduction as it applies to substance use and health is it really emerged from people who use drugs. They created harm reduction as an approach to reduce the risk for getting HIV from sharing an injection equipment in the 1980s. So this really important public health practice is something that emerged from a community in response to an infectious disease crisis. So understanding those roots and that it really is very community-based, I think Also that it's not one thing. It's not just naloxone. It's not Mm -hmm. just syringe exchange. It's a whole buffet of options that run from someone taking one small step to being healthier. Let's say 
using a sterile syringe when they inject. It also includes things like medications for opioid use disorder or just really that full range of things. Ideally, we want someone who uses drugs to have access to a buffet of options that they can choose that day, what's going to work for them to help them be a little bit healthier. So it's not one thing, it's really a range of things, and it's very driven by what's going to work for that person on that day. Thank you for that. I've been around in the field long enough to see harm reduction become much more commonplace and, you know, community engagement, peer advocacy, having an acknowledgement of racial disparities. All of these things are, are getting more talked about. It's not, we're not there, but it's really helpful to understand that really we're meeting people where they are. And in my understanding, when I first learned about harm reduction, it sort of seemed like well, if you set the bar here, you're going to leave a whole lot of people out. And what happens then? Are we happier and healthier as a society when we disenfranchise people? Are they happier and healthier? Doesn't everybody want to be happy and healthier? But what does that look like for them? And on that day, like you said, it could be different. So thank you so much, Allison. I really appreciate your dedication, your experience, and your passion to help continue educating us how to prevent overdoses in our community, all the insights that you share. Thank you so much for your time and helping us put it together in how to learn more about overdose prevention. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You can find resources related to the episode in our show notes, so be sure to check those out. Learn more about us by visiting our website at mhttcnetwork.org backslash Northwest. You can also follow us on social media at NWMHTTC. This broadcast is brought to you by the Northwest MHTTC, which is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA. However, the content does not necessarily reflect the views of SAMHSA. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to connecting with you again so we can keep putting it together. Take care.